0: Last week, we searched the Word of God to see what the Lord wants husbands and fathers to know. Uh, We discovered that God calls men to be the leaders in their marriages and in their families so that dads and moms and the kids can all follow God together. Many men do not know this responsibility today. Many that do know have shirked it. Many have resisted their calling from God. But we are determining, as men here at New Hope, that we will do whatever God has called us to do. Amen. And so I, I'm happy, you know, to have you affirming that, and uh, by your presence, by by your attitude, by your uh, you know nodding your head or saying Amen, that you agree that this is our role, this is our job. And uh, so as we continue today in this series, what is a family really? We want to see what the Lord wants to. To say to the mothers, Uh, this is kind of a Mother's Day message, I guess, early on. So we just feel like you're weeks ahead. That's okay. Uh, We want to see the calling that God has placed upon every woman who is blessed to become a mom. Now, not every woman will become a wife or a mom, of course. But those who do have a special assignment from the Lord himself. Those who do not are called by the Lord to do other things which are just as important to his kingdom. But this morning, we want to ask this question. What is a mother's high calling? Norman Bales wrote in his book, All About Families, the mom ministry is one of the toughest assignments God ever gave anybody. She's got to be as insightful as a psychologist, as tough as a Marine Corps drill instructor. She has to be as gentle as a nurse. She's got to be a labor and management negotiator, a teacher, an electrician, a plumber, and a carpenter. This requires an endless supply of energy, a massive amount of patience, an iron will, and a recognition of the fact that if she gets sick, she's got to get well before the end of the school day. (laughs) Every word of that statement by Norman Bales is true, isn't it? Sadly, the ministry... Motherhood has been disparaged lately and, and, and demeaned in the last several decades. Moms are, are not prized as highly as they used to be. And the disturbing thing is that the popular notion today is that motherhood, and even parenting, is a second-class calling, second to pursuing a career of some kind. Dr. Grace Ketterman said, Perhaps the most urgent need of our era is the restoration of the high value of godly mothering. Those of us who cherish biblical values must teach and practice them consistently. Those of us who are mothers must see that responsibility as a high privilege. We must reclaim our role as the shapers and supporters of the next generation of leaders and parents. Now in seeking a mother's high calling today, we're going to take a closer look at one Bible mother in particular, Mary, the mother of Jesus. I've never done this before, but I see some things here in Mary's life that I think is in, are instructive and helpful to all mothers today. She had a special calling, a holy calling from God, and as she accepted that calling, Mary exhibited some things that all mothers should exhibit. She exhibited an absolute trust in God, even when she did not know how the miracle of Jesus' birth was going to impact her young life and her engagement. Although the circumstances of her first child's birth are highly unusual, highly unique in human history, Mary represents all mothers who receive a calling from the Lord to raise their children for God. Now, the real Mary The mother of Jesus is not the pristine, kind of sober-faced woman that we see on icons and statues. She was a down-to-earth Jewish girl growing up in one of those small towns of Israel, a quiet little place called Nazareth. And what separated Mary from the rest of her peers, however, was her deep desire to follow God, come what may. God chose her for an assignment no one else ever was offered. In the first chapter of Luke's gospel, where we see what we call the Christmas story, we see the angel Gabriel suddenly visiting Mary out of the blue. As usual, almost the first thing this powerful angel had to say to her was, don't be afraid. (laughs) You know, when an angel comes into your midst, as they did often in the Bible, almost the first words every time is, don't be scared. Don't be afraid of me. And it was true. She didn't have to be afraid. She didn't need to fear God's angel, as powerful and as mighty as he was. What was really scary is what he had to say. The calling that he put upon her life, that God wanted her to carry her baby to full term virtually while virtually everyone was questioning, how did she get pregnant in the first place? She had not slept with anyone, including her husband-to-be Joseph, and yet here she was going through nine months of pregnancy with everybody talking behind her back. Please follow along as we go to chapter 1 of Luke, and I'm going to pick up at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and you will give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. Your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary had a divine calling from God, which in a sense All mothers have. God places such a high value on every child, on every baby that is ever born in this world, no matter the circumstances of their conception or their birth, that a mother's responsibility is a divine calling. Moms, you need to know that having a child gives you a divine calling from God. We all know Mary's story from hearing the Christmas story all of our lives, but let's just think this through a little bit. God sent Gabriel to Mary to tell her what his remarkable, unpredictable plan was for her life. She was betrothed to Joseph. She knew what the next few months would mean. They had not yet married, but they were going to get married soon. They had never slept together, and yet Mary was told that she was going to give birth to a child. A child that was going to be Almighty God's child. Understandably taken back by this news, Mary asked, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Now, notice that she didn't ask, how can this be, which would have showed that she doubted that God could do such a miracle. No, she asked instead, how will this be, which shows that she believed what the angel said, even though she couldn't explain how such a thing could even happen. And so, to her credit, Mary accepted the calling that God placed upon her life, knowing that this path was very different than the path that she and Joseph had planned for their life together. She knew instinctively that Joseph and everyone else would jump to conclusions and question her morality. But she accepted her fate from the Lord because it came from the Lord. This divine calling all mothers have is pretty obvious when we're talking about Mary raising the Son of God. I mean, that's obviously a calling from God. But a calling from God is maybe not... So obvious to all moms today. Maybe you have an active, capricious four-year-old boy. He's running all over the place. You can't get him to do whatever you say. And and you hear me say that a mother has a calling from God. And you say to me, Pastor, obviously you don't know my son. He's no Jesus. (laughs) Well, he's not. But he is an eternal soul. He is a divine calling from God. Your child, no matter who he is, no matter how he behaves today, is an eternal soul that God has entrusted to your care. And so just as God told Mary that he wanted her to raise his son, let me encourage you to visualize God, if you can, in heaven, saying to you, this is my child. Would you raise him for me? Just like Jesus, the child you are raising is going to live forever. He is a forever baby, existing forever, either in unimaginable bliss or in unimaginable horror. His destiny is one of two places, for he is an eternal child. This means that you have the opportunity and the responsibility, shared with your husband if you have one, to raise that child to know and to love and to trust God So that he or she can live with God forever. Now this calling has its challenges just like Mary's did. Your child will grow up in a sinful world. Your child will make sinful choices because we all do. Choices that will separate him or her from God. And he or she will have to be taught by you how to come back to God through Jesus Christ. Or they will be lost forever. It's going to be a long and perilous journey for you and your child, but God will give you the opportunity to guide and encourage them to follow Jesus so that they can be with him for eternity. Mary had a divine calling from God, and so do you if you're a mom. Secondly, we see in Mary's experience that our children must be dedicated to God. Luke 2.22, we read about this. We read about the dedication that Mary and Joseph Did for Jesus. Our children that we are given the privilege of raising are to be dedicated to God because actually they belong to him. They don't belong to you. They don't belong to me. They're his child from beginning to end. And we only have them for a time, but we must remember who they belong to. So when Mary's son, Jesus, was just eight days old, she and Joseph took him to the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate him to the Lord. They did what the law of Moses prescribed But they had no idea that at Jesus' dedication, God would give them a glimpse into the future. An old righteous man stuck around the temple a lot. His name was Simeon. And he came up to them, and he blessed them. And Simeon spoke to Mary in particular, and he said what was going to happen in this world as a result of this child's life, of Jesus' life. He said in Luke 2, 34 and 35, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul 2. Motherhood comes with many joys. We, We celebrate those joys. But often sorrows are part of the assignment as well. And so we know what Simeon meant when he said, and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. We know Mary would see her son, Jesus, die on a Roman cross and it would break her heart. Even so, Mary and Joseph dedicated Jesus to the Lord to serve God his entire life. All Christians today dedicate their children to the Lord in one way or another because our primary hope for our children is that they will know and that they will love and they will follow God every day of their lives. We do not know what will happen to them. We don't know the choices even that they will make along the way, but our hope and our prayer, uh, our thought, our priority is for them to make Jesus their Lord and Savior just as we have. All we can do is dedicate them to the Lord, set a good example for them, and teach them to follow God. Now, please know that no matter who your child is, it's not going to be easy to be a mom or a dad. You're going to have to trust God all the way. And it wasn't easy for Mary and Joseph to raise their son. Why should it be easy for us? And so we're going to turn to the next event in Jesus' life that we are told about as his family goes to Passover in Jerusalem when he was 12 years old. This story is also told in Luke chapter 2, in verses 41 to 52. We're not going to read all of those. But we realize as we read this that most of the relatives of Jesus went to the feast, including his aunts, his uncles, his cousins. In fact, most of the town of Nazareth probably went together to celebrate the feast. It lasted for several days. And when the feast was over, And everyone was leaving Jerusalem. Somehow Jesus stayed behind because they had other younger kids. Some of you don't know that, but Mary and Joseph had at least four or five other children. Mary and Joseph didn't even notice that the oldest was missing. Traveled all day. They camped for the night with the rest of their relatives. And then they panicked because Jesus wasn't with them. The next morning they they left and they tried to find him. Have you ever lost one of your children? Yeah, it's not fun, is it? I remember we had a little girl that liked to crawl underneath that clothing racks, you know, in the store, you know. Thought that was really great. Just panic for mom and dad. Uh, we, our, our same girl grew up. Now she has kids, and, and uh, recently they went to New York City. New York City is a huge place to go to. They, they kept saying, I can't believe how many people are here in this one spot. You know, there's just so many people. She said, we were there all weekend. I never let go of the boys' hands the whole weekend. <laughs> Why was that? Because you want to lose them. And you want to keep a hold of your children. And so when they discovered that Jesus had stayed behind in Jerusalem, they immediately went back to Jerusalem. They spent the whole day looking for him, didn't find him. They went to the second day, and somewhere about the third day, they finally found him. And where did they find him? They found him in the temple, debating the Scriptures with the teachers of the law. And Mary accosted him. You would understand. I mean, you've been looking for two days for this boy, and now you find him, oh, he's safe and he's, he's fine, but I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. She said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Exactly what we would probably say to them, but maybe we'd use a few words that are not in Scripture. And Jesus answered, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? I want you to know something here. Contrary to popular and opinion. Jesus was not an easy child to raise. Now you say, oh, he's a perfect child. He always did everything perfectly. He never disobeyed. He never, he never sinned. He would be an easy child to raise. Jesus was not an easy child to raise because he broke the mold. He was not like any other child in their town. Now I can imagine that Mary responded to him, well, why are you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He says, what do you mean your father's house? Your father's house is back in Nazareth, right beside the carpenter shop. That's where you belong, and Jesus said, no, 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 th- this is my father's house right here. It's a temple. So it was probably quite at the discussion, we would say, that Mary and Joseph had with their preteen, Jesus. Haven't we all been there? Thankfully, the Bible says that Jesus submitted to them. He went back to Nazareth, Mary and Joseph, and continued to live under their roof. When Joseph died, he became the carpenter, making money for the family, so they continued living. And the Bible says, during this time, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. And I thought, okay, pretty cool, treasured. So I looked up the word. What it really means is she had a lot to think about. <laughs> and did she ever. Ever. You raise a son like Jesus, you raise any child, you have a lot to think about. You're thinking about their past, their future, their present. You're thinking about their behavior today and what you hope would be their behavior tomorrow. Mary had a lot to think about. Thankfully, says Jesus, increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The end of chapter 2 of Luke. Jesus was not an easy child to raise in some respects. And it won't be easy raising your child either. Here's an interesting fact you may not be aware of. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever call Mary his mother. He doesn't call her mom. He doesn't call her mother. Early in John's Gospel, we see evidence of this. Jesus and his disciples were at a wedding feast in Cana, and the host ran out of wine, and his mother came to him and said, they have no more wine. I think fully expecting him to do something about that. And, and how did Jesus respond to her? Do you remember he said, did, you, did he say, no, no, mom, are you sure that's what I should do? And he said, no. He said, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Did you hear that? He just said, woman. Uh, moms who are here today, how would you like it if your child, even a grown child, just called you Woman. I mean, that, that's fighting words. I, I know what my mom would have done. She would have said, don't you ever call me woman. I am your mother, and you will respect me. Don't you ever forget that I'm your mother. It wasn't easy raising Jesus, and it won't be easy raising your child either. <clears throat> motherhood is a divine calling, a calling that we must dedicate ourselves and our children to. Mothering a child is not easy, but let me assure you this, motherhood has It's rewards, big and small. And in some ways, Mary had to wait a long time for her rewards. She had many rewards along the way, I'm sure. Many times she said, thank you, God. Thank you for the privilege of raising your son. But there were a lot of other things to go through. Even though she had a perfect son, uh, she had to wait for rewards. So moms, be patient. The rewards will come. When Jesus left home to begin his three-year public ministry, a ministry that culminated in his death, burial, and resurrection, it was hard for Mary and his siblings, Jesus' siblings, brothers and sisters, to understand what he was even doing. You know, he'd been there, he'd been taking care of them, he'd been a carpenter and doing things just as a normal life, normal routine, and suddenly... He leaves and he finds these these disciples and they start traveling around preaching and and healing the sick. And and they're being so, so popular, you know, that everybody's talking about him. What are they doing? What is he doing? And on at least two occasions, they went to see what he was doing and tried to get him to come home. Now, the point wasn't just to see just for own satisfaction. They're like, we need to get you home. You got to stop doing this. And when we turn over to Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, in Mark chapter three twenty, we are told that Jesus' healing and preaching ministry had become so successful that he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. You know, the crowds are pressing in day and night, and they couldn't even get away to get a meal. And then Mark three twenty one says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind they're really worried about his mental health. Of course Jesus didn't go with them. He kept on doing what God sent him to do. Soon after that in Mark chapter 3 it says that the Jewish leaders came down from Jerusalem and they accused Jesus of being demon possessed or somehow in league with demons because he's casting demons out of people. He answered them by saying, you know, how can Satan drive out Satan? You know, a kingdom divided itself cannot stand. And then notice what it says in Mark chapter 3 verses 31 to 34. Ouch. You know that? If they overheard that, or they were told what he said, how he responded, because he didn't come out, he didn't talk with them, he didn't go home with them. He said, My mother and my brothers and sisters are right here in this circle with me. He drew the line. He would not be dissuaded. He had now accepted the mission that God had called him to do sent him out in the world. He could no longer be the dutiful son. He could no longer be the responsible oldest child after dad died. He had to accept the calling that God had placed upon his life, and that preempted every relationship that he had. This included separating himself from his family so that he could obey God completely. He said, my life is about this now. And his own mother, his brothers, his sisters did not understand what he was doing for quite some time. But then, beginning with Mary, they began to turn the corner and to become his disciples too. This this is where the reward comes. This is where the story changes. At the end of his public ministry, doing what he came to earth to do, Jesus was hanging on a cross, and his mother was at his feet, praying with the other women, the disciples of Jesus and John. She would have gladly traded her places with her son, but she had now come to accept that he was the Savior, not her. It was about him, not about her. Her son, Jesus, was the Redeemer, the Messiah that God had sent into the world, and all she could do was put her faith in him, just like everyone else. And so Mary, as his disciple, watched her son die an excruciating death. But three days later, with the other disciples, she learned that Jesus was alive again. So how was Mary rewarded? How did her story end? As far as we know in Scripture, what we were told about her, it's right there in in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascended back to his Father in heaven, after he had said to his disciples, Wait here until you are clothed with power from on high, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And it was there in that upper room where these disciples were praying. And all the disciples, numbering about 120 people, were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And for the beginning of the church, which happened on the day of Pentecost, and they didn't know when that would be. They just saying, Lord, when are you going to come? When will we be your witnesses? And it is there that the Bible says that Mary and Jesus' brothers were gathered there with all the other disciples in the upper room. And you know what? That the oldest of those brothers happened to be a guy named James. And soon thereafter, James began to lead the church in Jerusalem. And later on, he wrote a book in the New Testament, which we call James, which we all appreciate so much. You see, what happened is Jesus changed their lives like everyone else that comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Mary's son became her savior and the savior of her children. It had been a long and arduous journey, but here was her reward. God's promise to her and Joseph had come true. For back in Matthew, they were told to name their son Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that is exactly what he did. Being a mom is a difficult calling, but a holy calling. We dedicate our children to the Lord, and and then we trust him to help us raise his children, not ours. The path is not always easy, but the rewards are out of this world. (laughs) Shall we pray? Lord, I thank you for this example of motherhood in Mary. Uh, It's such a a unique calling that you placed, and yet as such a, a... appreciated and generalized and and a calling that all mothers receive from you. Every child has such value to you that you give moms and dads that responsibility to teach them about you, to raise them in such a way that they will come to faith in Jesus and be saved. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that holy calling that is placed upon our lives if we are a mom or a dad. And we accept that and know that these are your kids to be raised, to know you, to glorify you. We pray that the example that we have set, we pray that the words that we will share, the lessons that we will teach will all point to Jesus because it's all about him. He alone is our Savior. He alone is our Redeemer. We come here today to praise him. We live our lives to praise him. We teach our children about him because he is their life. And we pray they will follow him all the days of their life and on into eternity. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you sing with us, please, as we sing about the Lord?